Welcome to episode 174 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by Warren Types and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Side. And we're going to get started with our special end of 2023 review. So we're going to be taking a stab at some of the broader t- trends in 2023 and what he and I expect in 2024. But before we get started, how's your holiday been, my friend? I'm pretty chill. I celebrated Hanukkah earlier in the month, so I got that stuff. Ironically, I didn't really uh, get much other than like a, a jacket, but I did just <laughs> get myself a Dyson uh, yesterday. I, I uh, saw that. So that was my uh, big purchase for the year, other than getting the car ready uh, for the to, the baby coming next month. So uh, yeah. that's, that's really the big thing is just getting ready for the baby. And I, I don't know what will happen with the podcast for the first few weeks, but I'm hoping that it won't be too long of a, a gap between episodes. Yeah. For our viewers and listeners that may not be familiar with uh, this news, um, Anshul and his wife are expecting their first child. Super excited for the two of you. Um, I have two daughters. They are grown up and they are out of the house. So I had a great time with them as well. I had to do separate celebrations with them because they live literally in, in opposite parts of the world. My youngest is a chemical engineer, first year with Halliburton, very proud of her, living in West Texas. And my oldest daughter, Works for a solar power company as a project manager. Uh, she was in East Texas in Longview, but she recently moved to Springdale, Arkansas. And just coordinating with them has been challenging. I, I fit in a Spurs game, drove from Austin to San Antonio with a good friend of mine and my wife. We had a great time and I'm just worn out. It's been great, but I am looking forward to a very quiet New Year's Eve at home. But without further ado, let's jump into it. I want to hit my first theme for the year, and I want to talk about the SATCOM space race heating up. And you and I think during the course of the year, Anshul, we talked about a bunch of different mobile network operators and companies. We've talked about Verizon and SpaceX. They were the first to announce their partnership with not a lot of detail. We've certainly talked about AT&T and ASC Space Mobile. I'm actually wearing, if you can see, an AT&T shirt that says, Dallas, we have a connection. And you can see the satellite image right there. So I've spent, obviously, considerable time with AT&T. We've talked about that relationship with AST. Just recently, you and I talked about Rogers and Lee. We've also talked about Amazon Project Cooper. 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 Cooper is the one with Amazon. Yeah, the one with Amazon. And, uh, and that's with Verizon. Yeah, exactly. Satellite and T or satellite. And uh, yeah, many I, I call it satellite. Satellite, I, whatever. I'm so tired, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I can't blame jet lag for that. But man, it, it is a space race. There are tons of competing solutions out there. Some are based on 3GPP standards, like we've spoken about before. Others are not. Some are designed to deliver more than just the middleware solution that AST Space Mobile is aiming to do, for example, with SpaceX and, and, and Amazon. But it's a crowded market. And at the end of the day, the question I come, come up with is, can we call a winner? And I don't think we can. I do believe at Mobile World Congress Barcelona in February of next year, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to low Earth orbit. And the use of terrestrial spectrum and how that can bridge the digital divide. And all these companies that we've spoken about this year have different strategies and architectures to go about it. If I were to just call 
a company that I believe is in the pole position, I would have to lean towards AST Space Mobile just because what they're doing, and again, they are further behind and their commercial deployment than say SpaceX is, but their overall strategy and architecture to not necessarily monetize the service, but service the middleware, I think that's a winner. But again, I really believe next year we're going to see a lot of activity around Mobile World Congress Barcelona. Um, I'm going to meet with many of these companies. I've already begun to sign up those, those meetings with them. And so I think it's exciting. I think this is great. We've talked about low Earth orbit, you know, well before this year. But really this year was it's, was it's coming out. And I, I think big things in 2024, but I would love to get your insight here. Yeah, I agree that there is no uh, clear winner here. I do think there was a clear loser. I think that's one that we can call out is definitely a Snapdragon space, uh, yeah. Snapdragon satellite, sorry, because yeah. they basically gave up on it. Yeah. But I think we can call a clear loser. I do think there are some interesting things happening in the market, but I think Having conversation with MediaSec that we had, it's quite clear that we're still a few years away from being even able to call a winner. And I do like your call that ASC Mobile may be in the pole position, especially when you consider that Verizon and Project Leaper still are like doing initial test satellites. T-Mobile and SpaceX still haven't really given much of an update. Yeah. Rogers and Link just did a test call. I think everyone's still pretty much the starting blocks to be honest and i do think this is going to be more of a marathon than a sprint so we're going to see a lot of handing of the baton over from one company to the next i do think we'll see some consolidation we might even see some companies move from one partner to the next yeah but i like that there's a lot of choice out there there's a lot mm -hmm. of opportunity and the geo guys are still trying to find a way to get involved seems to be more for emergency satellite communications for what Apple's doing with Global Star. But I think long term, I think the one thing that maybe missed some people is I truly believe there will be a point where uh, it becomes mandated for emergency 911 services to have satellite activity. And once yeah. that mandate goes through, it's immense satellite as no longer being a fad, but right. actually becoming something that becomes necessary and required. And I mm -hmm. think that will happen with time, maybe in the next few years as these things start to mature a bit. But I just think yeah. that it's one of those scenarios. How many times can you think about it where you're in the middle of nowhere and you need to be able to make up that phone call and there's a service? Yeah. That's got to be a, a, a bare minimum for, for everybody. Yeah, um, I agree. And I'm hoping that we'll see that happen down the road. Yeah, I'm confident. Well, to your point, we're, we're early in here, but I, I do think 2023 was a year of Leo's coming out. And I think there's much more in store next year. So it's exciting. Let's move to your first theme of the year. And you want to talk about fixed wireless. I'm glad you picked this one because it is truly the first killer app for 5G. Yeah. So the question is one, or the statement is, is first true killer app for 5G, but also how much runway is there left? Yep. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting is we have seen this year really be the year for fixed wireless growth, even late last year. And normally something like this doesn't really have a lot of runway from runs out or speeds start to decline. But there was a really interesting report that came out from Ookla not a week ago or so. And they were basically saying that, first of all, T-Mobile and Verizon's fixed wireless service are not only gaining customers solidly, but they are also keeping speeds 
at an equal level, which means they're increasing the spectrum and availability of, of bandwidth for fixed yeah. wireless. So combined in Q3, so we don't actually know Q4 numbers yet, but combined in Q3 alone, Verizon and AT or Verizon and T-Mobile accounted for nearly seven million fixed wireless customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, T-Mobile had four point two million, and Verizon had two point six million. So almost seven million customers, which is incredible. And when you think about that, seven million customers, almost all of those are coming out of Spectrum and Comcast. Which mean, and honestly, I don't know if you've seen this. I have seen this here in San Diego. The amount of TV ads, billboards, online ads, TikToks I'm seeing of Cox and Spectrum poo-pooing 5G internet. It's okay. Right. If there, if it wasn't a real threat, they wouldn't be spending millions of dollars on ads trying to poo 5G internet. But the reality is the Comcasts and the Spectrums of the world really aren't providing a good service. And, and T-Mobile and Verizon are there to offer potentially the only other option in a lot of these markets where these cable operators have effective monopoly. Now, I'll add to the validation of what Ookla said. They said in Q4 last year, um, the the actual download speed for T-Mobile was 119 megabits per second. And yeah. now it's 122. So it's actually going up three megabits. For Verizon, yeah. it started 94. And now it's up to like 120, about 122 as well. So both companies are really seeing a huge improvement in, or, or at least a continuous improvement of speeds as they add customers, which is, can't really say that of almost any other technology out there for connectivity. Right. And yeah, I just think that when you look at how big Xfinity and Spectrum really are and how dissatisfied people are with that service, there's a real big opportunity for what, what's going to happen for competitiveness and user experience. And it's a very simple application, but I do think it's going to continue to grow especially as both Verizon and T-Mobile add more of that C-band spectrum that they, they bid for in the B and C blocks. Yeah, and you almost mentioned AT&T. We did talk about them this year. They launched their, their air consumer service, and it's in limited markets. They're being very surgical about that, given their, their investment in fiber. And so I think we'll see these numbers continue to increase. T will pick up consumer subscribers as well. And, and at the end of the day, I'm so in, in Bastrop, Texas, where I live now, I'm on T-Mobile's FWA service. And, and I've actually seen an improvement from, I, I'm seeing download speeds as high as 140 and 150. Now, I do believe over time as they build out their standalone and the mid-band, that's going to improve as well. But to your point, to be adding so many subscribers and to see the performance increasing is pretty phenomenal. And I believe on one of our podcasts, I, I spoke to the fact that initially T-Mobile at the beginning of, the, of this year was very aggressive on some of their projections. And then they pulled those projections back Yeah, wisely because of that very thing. You're putting more FWA subscribers on the network. They tend to, the profile of that customer tends to consume more bandwidth. And so that, that puts pressure on things there. But, but yeah, I'm like, I just wanted to add some more data. This, yeah. First of all, this Google report's really good. I think you should read it if you get a chance. Yeah. Um, there's so much detail that I can't really cover. But one really interesting thing is Google is actually able to look at user data and see what where the users are going to and from. And they said that the vast majority of Verizon and T-Mobile's customers 
are coming from cable and DSL providers. And if you look at the fixed access new recruits for distribution of 5G FWA gross additions by ISP, a huge chunk of them are coming from Spectrum and XTP as well as the internet. So um, it's really exciting to see. And the other thing I was going to add that I thought was really interesting is there is a gap between urban and rural FWA. There's actually a lot of people in urban areas that are using FWA, which is really interesting. But even in rural areas, the median download speeds for T-Mobile are 91 megabits and for Verizon, they're 51. So people are getting access to way faster internet out in rural areas that they otherwise would literally could not even buy if they wanted it. Because a lot of these DSL plans are like 5, 10, 15, maybe 20. So it's it's really an amazing product. And I think we're going to continue to see that grow throughout the year. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's jump to my second topic. We may go longer than 20 minutes with our here and here, but so my second theme of the year is I want to talk about open ring. Was it a boom or a bust? And as we started the year, we saw Rakuten stumble with Symphony. We saw executives exit. We saw reorganization. Quite frankly, they were sipping their own champagne and eating their own dog food and wanting to market that to other mobile network operators. And that wasn't a success. And then consequently, We've seen a lot of trials and proof of concepts, but not a lot of uh, production deployment until recently. And you and I spoke about uh, the big watershed announcement between AT&T and Ericsson, where AT&T wants to drive 70 plus percent of its network traffic over open standard infrastructure. And I forget the year, 2025, 2026. It's a very aggressive goal, but that really validates things. And then we've also spoken about TT Docomo. And the Oryx platforms, when I spent time with, with NTT at their R&D forum in Tokyo in November, I learned more about that. It was briefed on that. And they're taking a similar approach to Rocketone, but NTT is a much larger organization, very broad, very deep. I'm going to actually be invited to their upgrade event in San Francisco in the spring and uh, i'm looking forward to that and and spending time with uh, the team that's based in california there but at the end of the day i I don't think we can call it a boom or a buzz the the adoption curve has not has not been aggressive but i do believe with this late breaking announcement between at&t and ericsson i think there'll be a lot of lessons learned from putting open ram in a brownfield network environment, which is inherently much more difficult than it is in a net new greenfield, such as Rakuten, such as Dish. We've seen Dish's stumbles as well. I don't want to beat the Dish horse on this podcast, but there are lots of challenges. And when it, when it comes right down to it, it's integration. And that's the key there. And so it's going to be really interesting. It'll be great to see the progress of AT&T and Ericsson Lake as we move into next year. But I do think there's line at the end of the tunnel. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call OpenRAN a loser. There are a lot of benefits in disaggregating the infrastructure and using open standards, especially in domesticating uh, the supply chain, which is what the U.S. government has wanted to do to wean itself off of not only Chinese infrastructure, but infrastructure from the European uh, providers and Ericsson and uh, and Nokia and others. I'll let you weigh in on this, but are, are you gonna call OpenRAN a boomer or a boss this year? I am of the camp that if we were talking about it mid-year, I would have said a bust. But I feel like we like hit rock bottom and have since shot back up. So I think really the AT&T Ericsson announcement has reinvigorated the market. 
Um, I think, and it has validated a lot of the things that people have tried to claim for a long time, but we were just waiting for a, a tier one operator to implement. And I think with AT&T going as hard uh, with Ericsson as they are and claiming that they're going to go, I think you said 70%, right? Um, yeah. So doing that and in such a short period of time, I think implies that AT&T is serious about this and so is Ericsson. And this helps Ericsson because we've talked about this before, they were struggling with competing with the market on open RAN and, and having something that was considered to be leading class. We know that AT&T would no, in no way go for anything that wasn't the best class. I think we're going to see some things change a lot. And I think next year will be a big year for open RAN. And I think probably see a lot of excitement at NWC and probably it'll feel the life has been breathed back into open RAN. Yeah. Yeah, I think NTT Docomo is going to take up the torch where Rocketon Symphony left off. I'm not writing Rocketon off at all, but I think they'll carry the momentum forward. I think, again, there'll be a lot of lessons learned from the AT&T and Ericsson relationship. Vodafone in Europe has been very aggressive with open RAN. They have been deploying it and, and in production in small pockets. And I think we'll, we'll continue to see that expand. And we'll probably learn more about uh, their progress at Mobile World Congress Barcelona as well. But let's move to your second topic. And this is tied to a slowdown in RAN spending. You and I have spoken about this on a couple of our podcasts. And, but Ericsson and Nokia, they're struggling right now in, in certain ways. And if you want to talk about that as, as networks now have, have yeah. had the RAN deployed and they're moving to the core and the standalone. Yeah. So... This is more of like a talk about the transition of spending away from RAN towards core. And so the way that Ericsson and Nokia's investors have interpreted this transition, because if you look at their last year or so, both companies' stocks have not done well. Both of them have struggled since 2021. They've both missed multiple quarters of earnings. Both of these companies have $20 billion market caps. While they have $26 billion in revenues, that's a staggering thing. But that's a share price is a concept of future profits and future yeah. revenues, not current. And, and I think the real thing that has turned the tide for Ericsson, at least, is the AT&T deal. If you look at their share price, it went through the roof after the announcement. Wasn't in a good place, so it's not really in a great place right now, but it's in a much better place than it was a month ago. But I think when you look at what these companies do, you're seeing Ericsson stay with its core business, even though it did write off that big Vonage acquisition. And Nokia is selling off business units again. I struggle with what the future of Nokia will be. We saw them do a big rebrand earlier this year. They mm -hmm. really tried to reintroduce themselves as a services company. And that might be enterprise. Yeah, enterprise right, company right. as well. Yeah. And I think that may be their opportunity down the road uh, because maybe they don't see RAN as a big opportunity anymore. But I do believe that open RAN is a big opportunity still, maybe longer term. But I think we're going to see Ericsson maybe become the last remaining big infrastructure provider and everybody else becomes these smaller open RAN providers where you have more, more specialized infrastructure or different types of applications, and maybe it's, or maybe it's just all pre-programmable with open RAN, right? I think that might be the direction we move in, especially if Ericsson more towards open RAN, and maybe open RAN ends up being 
solution to a lot of these problems. But ultimately, I think we, we still have to focus on the core. And I think there's going to be a lot of focus on the core in 2024. Yeah. And I think that's going to be because standalone is the only way that I believe that these 5G networks will be able to monetize their investments and actually satisfy users' discontent with the state of 5G. And I think focusing on core standalone might actually even increase demand for infrastructure, especially when you look at, let's say, millimeter wave. That was a bust for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but as people start using 5G more regularly, maybe there's actually a need for more RAN. It's all millimeter wave small cells, but to fill in the, 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 the gaps in terms of uh, capacity where it's needed most as 5G applications grow. I think as, as more demand grows, there might be an opportunity for more, these infrastructure companies to start to build out more infrastructure. But right now, I think yeah. it's more about the core than it is about the RAN. And I think that's hurt both Ericsson and Nokia in the last year or so. Yeah, no, I agree. 20, I mean, 2024 will be the year on standalone and that's an investment in the core part of the network. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call Nokia out here. I think they've got some assets in their portfolio and they've got some capabilities and some strengths that they can lean into. They've built a pretty um, compelling private networking portfolio. They've had a considerable lead on others in that regard. And yeah, but Nokia's had its challenges, the up and down over the last several years, but there's new management in place. Like you mentioned, it was actually at Mobile Congress Barcelona this year where they launched their new brand mark. They're focused on, as you mentioned, services and enterprise. They have Nuage, which is an SD-WAN solution. So they have all the right components to, to make a run at enterprise. They're divesting some businesses that they need to divest, but I still think the ecosystem is healthier with Ericsson and Nokia. We haven't even spoken about Samsung Network. They've really emerged as, as a leader when it comes to, to VRAN in particular. And hey, two years ago, three years ago, Samsung didn't even come up in the conversation when it came up when the conversation was about radio access network infrastructure. I think mean, competition is a good thing. Uh, we'd like to say competition breeds innovation. But, but yeah, I think 2024 will be the year on the core. But let's move to my third and final theme of the year. And hey, man, it, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about AI, right? Oh my gosh, you, you can basically state that 2023 was the year for Gen AI. So, but my thought process is, did AI move the needle within Polycom and, and 5G deployments? Earlier in the year, there was an announcement when, when NVIDIA did their big about around what they're doing with AT&T, leveraging AI for intelligent truck roles to support network deployments and field service and that sort of thing. Um, there's been lots of broad, broader conversations around how AI can improve security within the network fabric, resilience and self-healing. Although from my perspective, when I look back at this year, uh, other than the AT&T and NVIDIA announcement and hey, if I'm missing something, let me know. But it was really more sort of general conversations about the opportunity with AI. And again, AI is only about a year old and, and there's some tremendous opportunities with Gen when it comes to call center personnel and, and supporting customers and, and providing a better customer experience and, and that sort of thing with faster resolution uh, of issues and that sort of thing. I do think, and AI is not new, right? So this whole notion of AI ops has been around for quite some time. 
within the enterprise and certainly within public mobile networks. But I, I do believe that another big theme around using our end of the year podcast and preview for MWC Barcelona, uh, in addition to, to low earth orbit, um, I do believe there'll be a lot of focus and discussion around artificial intelligence and what that can be for telecom operators and 5G network. But what do you think? What's sort of your assessment on AI within telecom this year? I think there's a lot of thought around how AI will be used. Um, and I do think to your point, ATT was a really good application of that, at least for NVIDIA. But I think there's still a lot more AI to be used. I think what you did miss was how AI has made its way into modem and how much on the Qualcomm side, and there's so much AI already built in modem and there's yeah. dedicated AI hardware in the modem, not even using AI hardware elsewhere in the chip. So that's a big deal. And then also they were showing some research and I think this is going to be stuff that we'll probably see at MWC and, and moving onward, which is pre-training models that run in the 5g network that work in concert with the ai in the modem to maximize signal reduce power consumption and maximize throughput i think yeah that's going to be how we see ai used first i think there's going to be so many other ai applications for 5g but i think that's like the the beginning of it and we'll, we'll probably see a lot more evolving at mwc ces i think will be pretty light but MWC will see a lot of AI because everyone's going to want to talk about it. The AI hype was a little too early last year for MWC yeah. to really take hold of it in a meaningful manner. But now that mm -hmm. we've had almost a, a full year of AI hype uh, with ChatGPT and all the other Gen AI, I think yeah, you see a much bigger growth of a focus on AI and 5G and a lot more people actually showing how they're going to implement it or how they've already implemented it, like some companies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be, this is like a, second gear of AI hype in 2024. Yeah. First year was last year. This year's second gear. There's going to be yeah. a lot of talk about AI on the PC side this year. You're going to see a lot of that. That'll probably be very heavily during CES, but I have a right. there'll be some talk about how 5G is the connectivity for AI because not all AI workloads are going to work locally and not all workloads are going to work on the cloud. And you're going to need to have that connectivity regularly and pretty consistently to be able to send those models or uh, workloads back and forth. So that's something that goes here when it comes to AI. Yeah, for sure. And I'll just end with, I've often talked about like AI and, and edge computing uh, and its ability to supercharge use cases. And so as developers have had their hands on, you know, a lot of, you know, there are so many models, that, public models that are being, you know, provided now and produced that people can play with. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of innovative applications with respect to um, AI. And I think in telecom networks, security is a big opportunity because uh, we've talked about some mobile network operators that have had breaches and AI can be used as, as, as a tool uh, to counteract these bad actors. They're certainly going to leverage AI. Let's call it a double-edged sword there. But I do expect that we're going to hear a lot more about it next year. But oh, I was just going to add, Singtel was the other one that had a big announcement with NVIDIA on AI and 5G. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I, that's right. I do, I do recall that one. So thanks for reminding me. And thanks for reminding me about all of the AI that's being integrated into devices. And that's definitely your coverage area. So you reminded me about that. But let's wrap the podcast. And hey, it wouldn't be a year in podcast unless we talked about 6G, right? 
Yeah, there's been a lot of hype around 6G. I don't want to really spend too much time on it, to be honest with you. I think the one thing is, should we we start thinking about 6G now or should we wait for 5G to shake out? And I think the answer to that is we should really start thinking about 6G because the research for it has already begun. Basically, once the, the 5G was done, 6G research began. And I have a feeling some of it even started before 5G was finalized. I do think... When you look at the research cycle, it is at 10 years about. So we'll probably see around 2030. And that's still seven years away. The way I look at it is right now we should be figuring out what where we think there are deficiencies in 5G. Release 18 is going to be finished next year. Release 19 is going to be like a transitionary between 5G and 6G. And that'll probably be a 2025 or 2026 thing. And then we'll yeah. probably get release 20 with 6G. And release 20 will most likely come in 2026 or 2027, which will then be available and used in 2028, 2029. I think that's a normal cadence. I don't think terahertz is going to be a thing. There was talk about using even higher frequencies. I think we're already struggling enough with millimeter wave as it is. For Uh, sure. We have enough things that we need to figure out with millimeter wave that unless we figure those out, terahertz is a waste of time and literal energy. And I just think that we should really be focusing on one, how do we get the most out of the network, which I think is going to be an AI accelerated thing. And also, how can we accelerate the different industries that 5G opened up to us uh, with its broader applications? Maybe there are going to be more specific improvements to XR, which we're seeing in release 18, or maybe to agriculture or transportation. I think the 5G standard 3GPP is really good. I just think that there, not everything ends up getting used. And I think there are going to be some things that maybe just end up slipping to 6G or to later releases and um, things were already kind of part of the standard. This kind of happens with every generation. There's talk about 5G broadcast. It had broadcast in 4G. Didn't do that well. Maybe it'll happen in 5G. Maybe it'll happen in 6G. Who knows? But I just think that I think 6G is slightly premature, but I also think we shouldn't ignore it. Um, and I think we're still six or seven years away from that. So uh, that is a long time in the mobiles, you know, industry. So uh, I think you and I will will happily rename this podcast when it's appropriate. But for now, yeah. I think we're still going to stick to five G. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think hey, it's it's prudent to be in doing initial investigations and in academia, and we've spoken about that as well. But focus on. I think you and I have talked about the mobile network operator community needing to focus on getting standalone deployed. That's going to unlock the true promise with 5G from a latency throughput, device support, security standpoint, et cetera. But yeah, just be measured, be balanced with that. I may in 2024 decide to attend some of these 6G forum events. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm not going to jump completely into the deep end of the pool on that. But yeah, I think we will be hearing more and more about 6G next year as well. But it's been a great podcast. We went a little bit long, but we had a lot to talk about. But why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific RG topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tech and I'm at Ancho Sard. We hope you have a great weekend and please soon again next week. And don't forget to rate and subscribe and have a happy new year. Happy new year.